0: Dear Christian, you may be squeamish having such conversations. You may think it too abrasive to call it murder. What does God call such an act? Are we concerned about the eternal states of those who commit such atrocities? Are we concerned about the eternal state of these women who are having abortions? Though I appreciate laws such as the one in Texas, I also recognize the urgency in proclaiming the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ and the truth about life according to His word, because men's laws do not change hearts. The gospel changes hearts. God softens hearts and convicts. His kindness leads men and women to repentance. And His life-giving salvation transforms so that there is joy in being a mother rather than shouting for personal autonomy. Abortion is a terrible spiritual sin sickness in our society. And the solution is the gospel. You just heard an excerpt from my latest blog post featured on Love Subscribe. Hi there, and welcome to the Love Six Scribe Podcast, where we talk about biblical truths, current topics, and where we grow in loving the Word and loving the one who is the Word, Jesus Christ. I am Dawn Hill, and I am the Love Six Scribe. By now you're probably familiar with the recent passing of what was called the Texas Heartbeat Act. And this act is of the Texas legislature. It was introduced as um, SB 8 or Senate Bill 8 and House Bill 1515 on March 11th, 2021. It was signed into law by Governor Greg Abbott on May 19th of 2021, and the law went into effect on September 1st of 2021. Why this is significant is it is the first six-week abortion ban in the United States and the first of its kind to rely on enforcement by private individuals through civil lawsuits rather than by the government through criminal or civil enforcement. So that's another one of the biggest parts of this bill as well. It's not just the fact of stopping abortions when a heartbeat is detected at six weeks, but it's also enforcing private individuals through civil lawsuits. And the act establishes a system in which members of the public can sue anyone who performs or facilitates an illegal abortion for a minimum of $10,000 in statutory damages. This was challenged by the the Department of Justice um, eight days after it went into effect on the grounds that it preempted by federal law under the Supremacy Clause of the United States Constitution, and that it interfered with the performance of abortion-related services by federal government agencies and their contractors. And... The act is also being challenged in state court in multiple suits brought by abortion providers and funders. We also know that it went before the U.S. Supreme Court and the Supreme Court turned it down. And the main reason that we need to understand that happened was because there was no actual lawsuit by person under the stipulations of this, this law in Texas that came before the Supreme Court. So that was one of the main reasons why they turned it down in reviewing it and taking it on. There are a lot of people that are very upset about the the passing of this Texas Heartbeat Act. And they're saying such things as Roe versus Wade has been overturned, which that is not the case at all. And we seem to be forgetting uh, one other case that happened in 1995 that would help us to understand that Roe versus Wade has unfortunately not been overturned. There are things that we don't consider about this, the whole premise of what's going on here. And as Christians, which that's what we look at here on this on this podcast, is looking at the current topics and the biblical truths of things and looking at different issues that we need to address and take them back to scripture and as christians we are challenged with with looking at the issue of abortion and saying this is not just a societal issue that is to be addressed this is a spiritual issue and this is a sin problem this is ultimately a sin problem abortion is a sin because abortion is murder now a lot of people would feel that that's very strong talk but we have to look at it from the point of What does God say about this? Does he consider it murder? Yes, he does, because this is a life that he has created. He has designed. We see in Psalm 139, verses that we know so well, the psalmist saying, For you formed my inward parts, you knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. So we see here that God is the designer, He is the creator of human life. He is the creator of everything in this earth. He is the one that created all things. Human beings are at the pinnacle of His creation. And he knows our inward parts that he formed them, he knitted them together. This is so- something that is intimately done in the womb that God is sovereign over. And we praise him for that because we recognize, and this psalmist recognized, that he was wonderfully and fearfully made by the Lord, and that his frame was not hidden from God, that he was created by God himself. And that all the days of his life were written before they even took place. That this again shows the sovereignty of God. It does not show pre-existence of people. By the way, because that is not a Christian belief. That we pre-existed. That would indicate that we, along with God, existed before things began, and that's that's not the case at all. But this is indicating that God is sovereign over our lives, and that He knows everything. He knows what our days entail. He knows what they hold because he's God and he created us. And so when we think about what's going on in our society right now with the passing of this law, which there can be some pros and cons to this law in society. There can be some things where people could find loopholes and there could be other issues that take place with this. But you're seeing right now Some of this have called it the weeping and gnashing of teeth, that there are people rising up, uh, namely women that are not happy at all with what is going on here. And they're they're using they're using terms and such, such as the patriarchy, that they're very upset about the patriarchy that have passed this bill. They're upset about certain groups of people that are being left out, uh, stating now they're stripping away the identity of a woman. And now they're saying persons, uh, birthing persons. Forgive me if there's men listening to this, but menstruating persons, there's chest feeding persons. So now we're stripping away the unique God ordained identity that that was created for woman, that woman was formed out of man And we're denigrating not only men, but now we're denigrating women and the identity of women. And we're taking away their God-given, our God-given, I'm a woman, our God-given people are trying to take away, though they can't do it. They're taking away the God-given ability of women to have children, all for the sake of autonomy, personal autonomy. I want to have control over my own body. It's my body. It's my choice. If we understand anything about biology, we would understand that that's not our own body. When a woman is pregnant, when I was pregnant with our two children, that was not my own body in my womb. My children were not parasites. You know, That's another claim that you'll hear um, at in society that children are parasites and people are being educated improperly in some of our higher forms of education which is seems kind of like an oxymoron when you say higher forms of education and we're not seeing that higher level of education coming forth when people are making such claims as that that unborn babies are parasites or they're clumps of cells or they and that they need to be removed because it's my body they're dependent on me and so I have every right to end a terminate a pregnancy we want to find we want to play semantics with that and so state to say terminate a pregnancy when really we need to be honest and be very direct about what it is uh, the termination of a pregnancy is killing a baby or or it's um, ending a life It's murder and it's a sin it's a sin against God because we are removing someone that is in the likeness of God, that has been made of the image of God. And we are destroying that image before God for the sake of whether, whether it's convenience, in very rare instances, if for the sake of other sins have been committed. And so we're, we are giving a death sentence to someone that was innocent in that act, whether it was rape or incest, whatever took place in very rare instances. We are giving a death sentence to an innocent person in that sense of what happened and two wrongs don't make a right. So we're seeing this take place in our society. And so people are very upset, namely a, a, Women are very upset about what is taking place with this and the fact that, for one thing, that the patriarchy, which that definition, there's a couple of definitions to that when you look at it, I'll share with you. Uh, The patriarchy could be, which is what I want to look at it here in just a moment, it's a system of society or government in which the father or eldest male is head of the family and descent is traced through the male line. Now, this is a biblical precedent. This is a biblical understanding of patriarchy. Just like there's a matriarchy, which has to do with the mother. There's a patriarchy. And there's nothing wrong with that, and it should not be demonized. That is a biblical concept. You will see this time and time again when you read the Bible. You'll see this with kings, that the li- the lineage will be traced back through the kings. You'll If you read First and Second Kings and you see what the kings did, whether they did good things or they did evil things, you'll see kings that are traced back through the lineage of David when they did things that were good in the sight of God. You'll see the kings that are traced back, that did evil things, that they may be traced back to their other ancestors, the, the other fathers preceding them. You, you'll see this in Scripture. You'll see the genealogies in the Old Testament. You'll see the genealogies in the New Testament with Jesus Christ. In Matthew 1 in Luke 3, you're going to see genealogies that are traced back through the fathers Even though Joseph was not Jesus's earthly father, he was not his natural father. God was his father. They still, God still used the word of God to trace his lineage back through him to show that David was in that line and trace him back to Adam, who was the first parent that we had on the earth. Adam and Eve were our first parents on the earth. And that's how sin entered was through one man, as Romans tells us, through Adam, because he disobeyed God. He rebelled against God and sin entered and with sin came death which was spiritual death. It was very interesting by the way, my daughter and I are doing a um a a catechism before we do our homeschooling every day during the week. And so I ask her questions about the Bible and I take her through scripture to show her about these particular ones and we learn one scripture a week for her to memorize. And it's really good, but it's good for both of us because we're learning things as we go together and I'm able to teach her. And one of the things that she said to me last week when we were talking about sin and what transgression means, she had this very thoughtful question as a five-year-old. She said, Mommy, why didn't Adam and Eve die like God said they would after they ate the fruit? They continued to live. And so I had to explain to her that there were two things taking place there, that God's mercy was on display by letting them physically live and clothing them and creating a blood sacrifice, essentially, to clothe them in animal skins that was essentially going to point to Jesus Christ. And also, too, that we see that they did actually die spiritually, that there was spiritual death called sin that entered the earth. So... We need to consider this as Christians. We must consider that when we see these things that are happening in a fallen world, this is sin. This is not about personal choice. This is not about personal autonomy. This is not about you getting to do what you want to do with your body. And especially as a Christian, you don't have that right to have to do whatever you want to with your body because your body is not your own. Corinthians talks about this our body is the temple of the Holy Spirit our body is not our own it has been paid for with a price and that is the blood of Jesus Christ we don't have a right to do what we want to do with our bodies we are to discipline them and to put them under subjection under the obedience of Christ and we must call this what it is abortion is murder and abortion is sin and there's only one solution which we'll talk about in just a moment. But that's one of the first definitions for patriarchy. It's a system of society or government which the father, eldest male, is the head of the family. So this is a very biblical understanding. It's a a Judeo-Christian understanding of the patriarchy. But what they could be referring to in our society is a system of society or government in which men hold the power and women are largely excluded from it. Now, I'm going to push back on this a bit because... Uh, Women are not excluded from this. We do see that there, are, for example, I believe there are nine governors that are women in the United States. A third of the federal court is made up of women. There have been women Supreme Court justices. Whether you like that the fact that they're conservative or liberal, it doesn't change the fact they are women and they've been on the Supreme Court. We have a woman vice president. So women have been in the government and We could also argue from a biblical perspective, though some people may not like this, but when people bring up Deborah as a judge, we could argue because of what Scripture says that women holding positions of power is actually judgment on that nation. And I won't get into that today, but that is proven and shown. That is actually something that could be supported in Scripture in the Old Testament when women are actually, when women are holding places of power, that this could be looked at as a form of judgment on the nation. Because it's breaking with the order of of authority that is to be to be um, present within society. When we see this in the family, that God is head over the husband, and the husband is head over the wife. We see this in Corinthians, and Christ is head over the church. We see this order here, and this is a God-established order. And my argument would be, when we hear people that are making this argument, whether they're Christian or or they unbelievers, there is an attack essentially being launched against God's established order. The issue is not with man. It's not with the law. Their ultimate issue is with God himself and the God-established order that he created from the foundation of the earth in order to have a correct and sound and solid structure for authority. Now, you may agree or disagree with me on that, But ultimately, as Christians, we are to take things back to the Bible and to make sure that what we believe is aligning with Scripture. To say that there is an authoritative order that God has established does not diminish the value of women, by the way. It's merely establishing the fact that God has placed boundaries in his word and he's placed order there for, for a reason, and that order has been placed there for for protection, both for women, for children. It's been placed there to create a structure so there's not chaos, there's not confusion, there's not disorder. God is not a God of confusion, but he's created this order for a reason. And so we need to respect that order. So you'll hear this one argument. People are very upset. The patriarchy is holding women down. The patriarchy is making all these decisions. And yet... There are women in government that are pro-life. There are women that have organizations that are fighting for the rights of unborn children to live. Are they less women because they're fighting for those rights and they're not fighting for the uh, autonomy of women to murder their children? Because that's what is taking place again. I know that that sounds harsh, but that's the truth. We've got to put it in the proper context, because if we continue down this path of watering it down, using semantics and and, and sugarcoating what's going on, we are not going to do a, any service to people when we're trying to minister to them the gospel of Jesus Christ and saying, this is sinful, this is murder, but there is a solution to this that God gives in order for you to be made right before God, to be justified before God, because this, is, this sin is no uh, greater or worse than any other sin. Any sin against God is depravity. Any sin against God is wretched before him. Any sin is evil before a just and holy God. I recently heard an interview by a female politician, Elizabeth Warren. You may be familiar with her. And in this interview that she was giving with... A uh, news anchor. They were talking about the Texas heartbeat bill. They were talking about the um, the Handmaid's Tale that was brought in there, and she made a comment in there when she was referring to the most vulnerable among us in our society with regards to abortion and the Texas heartbeat act. And unfortunately, the most vulnerable among us that she was talking about were were not the the unborn babies that were being killed and being aborted. Their lives were being. Cut short by the act of abortion. That's not who she was referring to. Who she was referring to when she said the most vulnerable among us were actually people of lower income versus rich women. I understand that people of low income that financially have difficulties are certainly vulnerable among us, but they're not the most vulnerable among us in this situation. The most vulnerable among us are those that are being killed every day in the mother's womb, which is supposed to be the safest place. That a baby can be, but unfortunately, that's not the case. Uh, R.C. Sproul, I found this uh, this I found this quote by R.C. Sproul the other day, and I thought it was so appropriate. It Said the most dangerous place in the United States for a human being is inside the womb of a woman. And when I read that, I thought, how true is that? That the the safest place for a baby is now becoming con- continuously the most dangerous place for a baby to be. Abortion has never been safe. Nor will it ever be safe. People can argue that all they want to, but the fact of the matter is, it is not safe. And do you know why? Because in every instance, someone loses their life 100% of the time, guaranteed. Every time an abortion takes place, someone dies. And in some instances, that's not talked about a lot. Unfortunately, there are women that die because of botched abortions that are not done properly, or they have complications from them, or they have to be hospitalized, and then they suffer as well. And not even talking about, not to mention the fact of the emotional trauma that takes place, the what these women are going to have to grapple with, if their consciences aren't seared, what they're going to have to grapple with and the fact that they have murdered their own child. They have taken, they have participated in an act, and some women may not understand biologically what what's going on because they're being lied to in these facilities, and they're not being told the truth, or they're not being offered an ultrasound. They're not hearing their their baby's heartbeat. They're not being give, give they're not being given informed consent so that they know the risks of what could take place in abortion. They don't understand what's entailed in that, depending on what trimester they're in. You know, there's a lot that goes into the, the, it's not, the baby is the main one that suffers. That there is always a death that takes place. And these, they at the same time, there are also these women that are going to suffer emotionally, physically, mentally, spiritually, because they do not understand potentially what they're doing. And the women that do understand what they're doing, and they they go in knowing that they are killing their children. God have mercy on them because this, we're talking about human life that's being taken human life and this is a serious matter people will say well you know christians shouldn't be talking about this because this is a political issue it is not a political issue it's been made to be politicized but this is a biblical issue that needs to be addressed by christians at the end of the day this is a biblical issue this is a sin issue this is a this is a blot on our society, it is a horrific blot on our society, and it is a testimony of the spiritual sickness in our society when we are okay with killing unborn children. When I started thinking about some of the things that were being said, the uh, the attack on the patriarchy, the the fact that we need to be able to choose the 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 language and trying to change the language from an interchange from women to persons and denigrating the the god-given privilege of women to to carry a child which has unique dna from the moment of conception i mean my goodness they even have their own blood type think about that that was something that just a simple thing i remember being pregnant with both of my children and because of my blood type i had to take a particular injection so that my body wouldn't reject the pregnancy or that there wouldn't be any complications that would arise from that that would put their life and my life in in jeopardy. They have, a baby has their own blood type. They had their own unique DNA from the moment of conception. It is not my right, it was no, not ever going to be my right to decide should this life continue or should it not. Both of my pregnancies, by the way, this, this is one of the things I think about with this situation. Both of my pregnancies, and many women can attest to this, because of my age, at 35 and older, you're considered geriatric, which, frankly, I think that somebody needs to be smacked for that in a gentle uh, Christian way for saying that women over 35 are considered geriatric uh, Geriatric pregnancies Sarah was geriatric if you want to talk about geriatric 35 and older is at that point that's not geriatric okay I'm going to argue that every single day but I will tell you this my pregnancy from 35 to 36 for my first daughter and then having our son at 40 right before I turned 41 my goodness that was a big difference but I was not geriatric okay but anyway so when I think about both my pregnancies they were both considered and termed high risk uh, right out of the gate and my second pregnancy with our son was very difficult I mean there were some complications that arose during the entire pregnancy my question is do I have the right to kill my children did I, did I have the right to kill my son because my pregnancy was high risk is that my right is that okay because I was considered high risk to kill my son I mean my life was potentially at risk there were complications that could have arose that I was warned about on a weekly basis does that give me the right to kill my children, to kill my child? No, it doesn't. It means that you understand that there's risks involved. You understand that there's potential sacrifice involved with pregnancy. And as a mother, you recognize that your child must be protected at all costs because that's what a parent does. And not to mention the fact also that that's not only half of half of my DNA contribution in there with that unique set of DNA that God Ordained and created. The other half are fathers. And I want to say this right now because, in addition to the patriarchy that's being attacked, whether it's on a government level or attacking the patriarchy because we don't like the fact of men being authority, because essentially we don't like God's established. Order that he's created I want to say there's a double standard that's also being presented to men and they're being told two different things they're being told on one hand how dare you try to tell us what to do with our bodies and try to pass laws and and do all these things to try to control us and to to harness us and to keep us and restrict us and hinder us from doing what we want to do and then on the other half there are people at the same time in the same camp they will yell and rail on men going why aren't you being more responsible? Why aren't you being fathers? Why aren't you stepping up and doing this and doing that? Listen, I'm going to, to speak to those that are being double-minded. You all are going to have to, to decide what side of the fence you're on. You're going to have to be consistent. You can't rail on men and say, how dare they take authority over these things and try to do something and to legislate murder, and then at the same time tell men, why don't you actually do something and be a father? You know what I say to what is going on here? Thank God for the patriarchy. Thank God that there are godly men that and and men that are wanting to step up. That may not even know God, but they see the mor- the moral blot of this, the moral blot of abortion, and they are standing up and they're saying, no, we are going to take a stand. This is murder. We want to fight for unborn life because they have a right to life, just like the Declaration of Independence says. They have the right to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, Somebody needs to stand up and, and say something for them. And if no one else is going to, then we are going to do that. And we are going to take steps forward to put this in a place to where we can protect as many unborn lives as possible because we value life. We value life because they're human beings because that's the ultimate race is, is, human, is a human being. And every life in a mother's womb is a human life that's created in the image of God. An image bearer of God that needs to be fought for so that they can have the right to life. Just some things to think about here. Some of these things that you've probably thought about, they're not profound, they're not deep, but things to think about. And when we're talking about autonomy and we're telling people, you know, you can't say a woman anymore, you can't say mother anymore, you can't say pregnant woman anymore. You have to say birthing persons. You have to say you can't identify the gender slash sex because that's the same. You can't say those things because that's offensive. You know what that brings to mind? It brings to mind Romans chapter 1 verse 28 through 32. I want to read that to you for just a moment. When I think uh, the past couple weeks, week or two when I've thought about this subject and I hear some of the rhetoric that's coming out of people and I hear some of the language that's coming out of people and granted probably the vast majority of these people saying these things are unregenerate their their minds are uh, they're not believers in Christ when they're saying these things but Romans chapter 1 verse 28 through 32 says and since they did not see fit to acknowledge God God gave them up Heartless, ruthless, though they know God's decree that those who practice such things deserve to die. They not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. And it was uh, quite interesting yesterday during our uh, our time in Sunday school, as many people would call it before service, before corporate gathering yesterday morning. Our teacher brought up this point and I had not noticed this before and it's, it's quite chilling when you think about it. It's sobering. But at the beginning of verse 28, it says, And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. That's also referred to as a reprobate mind. God gave them up. And they were talking about how a particular uh, individual during a conference was saying one of some of the most disturbing words that we could ever hear from Scripture is this from the Lord saying God gave them up to a debased mind. God gave them up. That to me, when I see that, that shows the sovereignty of God. And it's, it's rather uh, sobering and frightening to think, That God is giving them up to that. They knew better. People know better. Romans 1 lays this out clearly. That there is no excuse for people not to believe in God. Not to acknowledge who he is. They can look outside and they can see the vast amount of creation that has been made. And they have no excuse not to believe in God. But when you begin, even taking that a step further, when you begin to strip away the identity of men versus women, when you begin to demasculinate women, uh, when you begin to demasculinate men, when you begin to berate their position of authority and you begin to try to strip that away from them, when you begin to take away the the beauty of women that God has created, that he's given them the uh, the ability to. And the privilege to carry children, to house children while they're developing, while they're forming, while God is knitting them together in their womb. And you begin to say, well, there's no longer men and women. There's all these other things that we're going to call people and we are going to make the rules because we are God. That's what that really comes down to, whether people say that or not. Ultimately, human beings are now saying they are God and they are going to make the rules and they are going to make the decisions and they are going to make the definitions of things. And it's it's confusion. It's absolute confusion and it's not in line with the god of creation. And when we tell um, and when we when when this is happening, when now it's degrading people down to just persons and we're no longer long we're no longer identifying men from women and their unique roles in society and what they do and what their bodies are able to do then we are ultimately denying the God who created them. And we are denying his order and his structure that he ordained. And now we have made ourselves God. And I'm not going to participate. I'll just tell you right now, as, as a believer in Christ, I'm not participating in that. I refuse to bow to that culture. I refuse to use those terms. I'm going to use the proper terms that God created. It's man and woman, male and female. And that's the truth. And that's another thing that we need to be doing as Christians. People will say that's unloving. How dare you say such things? Let me tell you something. It is far more loving to tell someone the truth than it is to create delusion. And to go along with delusion and deception and to love people to hell than it is to tell them the truth and to say, no, man and woman were created by God. God is not confused. He does not make mistakes. I tell my daughter that all the time, and she knows that. God does not make mistakes. When he created you, he created you to be a female. He created you to be a girl, and that's who he created you to be. I'm I'm not going to give over to the to this and I encourage you to do the same and to to educate yourself and to understand where this is coming from and to be able to engage in these conversations. And the sad fact is the sad thing that we're seeing in our society is there is a shutting down of logical Uh, communication. There is a shutdown of reasoning. There is a shutdown of critical thinking. Critical thinking is only allowed if you're willing to engage in critical thinking that agrees with one side. There's a shutdown and a disintegration of being able to have conversations with people that you don't agree with and be respectful. We've lost the The true definition of respect and tolerance. We believe that tolerance is I have to agree with everything that you say and if I don't agree with it then I am evil and I'm wrong or that person is evil and wrong. Whereas tolerance is I can listen to somebody, I can hear what they're saying, but I and I can respect them as a human being but I don't have to agree with what they're saying. That's true tolerance. I hear you. I understand your viewpoint. This is my viewpoint. I don't agree with you. I still respect you, though. And this is what this is the truth of what God's word says about this from a biblical standpoint. And being able to walk away from a conversation and still respect someone and not demonize them, not try to shut them down, not try to shut down critical thinking, not trying to shut down reasoning which we are supposed to do as believers in Christ. We are never told to go by our emotions, to go by what what we think is right, what our opinion is. We are to go by truth. And let me also say this, is that there is this fallacy that Christians are not scientific. And I would disagree with that because the fact that we believe that life begins at conception, the fact that we believe that God made male and female that's supported by science. I mean, if you open up an embryology textbook, you're going to find science in there that supports the fact that at conception, that a unique DNA pattern and structure is given to every human being. That that particular person has in their DNA the the color of their eyes, the color of their hair, what kind of skin color the the type of skin color they're going to have. You're going to find what if they're going to be left-handed or right-handed. You're going to find the shape of their toes, the shape of their fingers, you're going to find the shape of their nose in there, you're going to find all this DNA in there to, to help create that person uniquely from the moment of conception. That's science. I think that there are some people, and I don't mean this in a facetious way, I think there's some people that need to go back to Biology 101 to understand what, what a gamete is, what a zygote is, what embryos are, how... I think everybody needs to probably participate in a embryology crash course to look and see how human beings are formed, and they need to, to, to sit and watch that or sit and read about that and to understand that before they begin speaking on such a matter and saying that's not a human life and I can kill it and now there are people that are going beyond that point there are people that are now saying yep I know that's a human life in the womb and I am still going to kill it because I deserve my rights I deserve freedom I deserve my autonomy no you don't no that's not how that works that's not how that works at all. And this again goes back, you know what this ultimately goes back to? It goes back to rebellion and sin that's committed against a holy and just God. And yet there is a solution. There is a solution. And I want to say this too, that with people, and, and to give this uh, counter argument to those that say, well, Roe versus Wade is is being removed. It's being uh, undone. It's being overturned. What some people fail to remember is that there is actually a um, a, a Supreme Court, Case that came up in 1995, it was uh, Casey versus Planned Parenthood. Ultimately, what happened was Roe was upheld. The structure changed from the trimester being the framework to Casey versus Planned Parenthood changed the precedent from Roe in that Roe was upheld in the sense of viability and undue burden on the woman, and it also made allowances for states to create laws that uh, prohibited abortion in the first trimester. So we do see this in that second court case and it was a plurality decision. Another thing too I find that's ironic with uh, the the hatred of the patriarch, the disdain for the patriarchy, whatever you want to call it, is that these same people that are, the same women that will say, I'm sure there are men too, but the same women that I hear that are saying things against the patriarchy, they don't seem to have a problem with the nine Supreme Court justices in 1973 who were all men by the way who decided Roe versus Wade. Let me also say this and I've covered this months ago in another podcast called God the Gospel in the Supreme Court is that uh, Roe versus Wade was decided by a, a majority of conservative judges. We need to to squash the misconception that we need all conservative justices in the Supreme Court in order to overturn Roe versus Wade and to overturn abortion and other things that we that we know that are not in, in alignment with God's order with the Word of God, with the truth of the Word of God. Because the fact of the matter is, is that in both cases, in Roe versus Wade and in Planned Parenthood versus Casey, you had a majority of conservative judges, and yet this this still passed. This still went into effect. And by the way, killing a baby in the womb is not a constitutional right. The Supreme Court does not create law. It upholds it. Uh, Congress creates law. They make law. The executive branch, by the way, does not make law. Congress does that. The legislative branch makes law. So this is not the law of the land. This is not in the Constitution. You don't have the right in the Constitution that plainly tells you that you can murder your child. It's not there. But if we're going to be consistent in our beliefs, then we must acknowledge that it was men that made this decision. So where is the anger towards the patriarchy in that? You see what I'm saying? It's it's very double-minded. So you know there are lots of things i'm sure that we could probably look at with this after pondering on this myself and and you know there were times that i got angry listening or frustrated i should say there were times i got frustrated listening to the things that were being said and the double mindedness the the hypocrisy that was coming out when people would would say these things and it also reminded me of my own uh, tendency at times to be double-minded. My own tendency to be hypocritical. My own tendency to be um, to not think in line with Scripture and to think my ways are better. In other instances, and it's convicting to think about those things because what we need to remember as Christians is that when we're dealing with this issue of abortion and the the sinful nature of it and the rebellion against God and the the killing of one made in the image of god there is a solution to this and though the laws of the, uh, the laws that men uh, and women the, the laws that are created in our society are helpful and we want to uh, abide by the law of the land the constitution is our ultimately governing authority what we want to realize too that that laws and i've said this before that laws do not change hearts of people it, we can make a hundred different laws about a certain issue, about abortion and such. All the states could come together and say, we're going to all pass laws that, that make abortion illegal. And many of us conservatives would be very happy about that. And there may be some, some liberals, you know, we don't want to be divisive. There are going to be some people, regardless of the political labels, that are going to be happy about that decision. And then there are going to be people that are extremely angry about that decision. But the laws don't change people's hearts. The laws do not transform a person spiritually and regenerate them into a person who is given the promise of eternal life by Jesus Christ. Though those laws, uh, we want to respect laws unless that they contradict what the Word of God says and they lead us to disobey God, we do not want to do that. We want to respect laws that are not in conflict with God's truth and and God's word and obeying him. We must understand that it is the gospel. It is the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is God himself who softens hearts of stone to hearts of flesh. It is the gospel of Jesus Christ that is going to change people. Passing laws all day long and twice on Sunday is not going to change the hearts of people that are that are doing wicked things, that are being sinful and rebellious against God. The ultimate thing that changes people's hearts is the gospel. It is his kindness that leads men to repentance, leads women to repentance. Is his kindness. And some people may not view kindness as hearing, you're a sinner, the wrath of God abides on you, you are already condemned because you don't believe in, the, in Christ as, the, as Lord and Savior. But that is loving to tell people. Because if they don't hear that and they don't hear the truth of the gospel and recognize that in, in the midst of being lost, the world will say there is no hope. You know, we live, we die, we go to the, we, and then there's nothing. That's what a lot of people believe. We live, we die, there's nothing. And yet they will fight for morality and they will borrow from the Christian viewpoint and fight for morality When What's the point? If all you're going to do is live and die and then there's nothing after that, then what is the point? Why are you even fighting for what you think is moral, which is your body, your choice? What is the point? But as a Christian, we know a person dies and uh, every person is appointed to die and then comes judgment. And those of us who are in Christ, that justice has already been fulfilled in Christ. That wrath has already been satisfied by Christ on the cross. Those who believe and put their faith and hope in Jesus Christ alone to save them, to justify them before God, to clothe them in righteousness, that's already been taken care of and satisfied by God, by Jesus Christ, by the Son of God, by the second person of the Trinity. He has satisfied that on our behalf, that he is a just God, and that has been fulfilled. And those that reject God, that continue to rebel against him, They will stand before God and be judged, and they will face eternal judgment, eternal torment, separation from from the love of God forever, and face eternal punishment. And the most loving thing that we could possibly do is to tell people the truth and to tell them that sin and rebellion against God leads to spiritual death, and it leads to judgment. And God is a just God. And he has every right to judge because we have all sinned and fallen short of his glory. We have all transgressed against him, because of one man sin. One man's sin coming into the world and it infected all of humanity, and no one escapes it. No one escapes it. What is a more loving thing to do than to share with someone? There's good news that it's not just you live and you die and you think that you that there's nothing after that, which is not the, the case, but that the wrath of God that abides on you, there is good news to that. That Jesus Christ came to die for your sins, to reconcile you back to the Father, to justify you. You know, Isaiah 64, 6, I don't mean to be graphic with this, but Isaiah 64, 6 talks about that our righteousness, the righteousness, which is referring to Israel in context, and it could essentially apply to all of us. But the righteousness that that the people had at that time, Isaiah tells them is as, filthy rags or a polluted garment. In the ESV it says polluted garment. When you look up that word polluted or filthy, it is referring to a women's menstrual garment, a women's menstrual rag. That's what it's referring to as filthy rags. That is the picture that God wanted to portray to Israel and for us to glean from essentially that what, what a person's righteousness looks like. It is like a filthy garment. It is a women's menstrual garment that is, that that they would have recognized that as being unclean, because when a woman was menstruating, we we can see this in Leviticus, we see this in the Old Testament, that there were stipulations placed when a woman was unclean with with a flow of blood because women are the ones that menstruate again sorry if you, if there's men listening to this but I think it, it's sad that we have to make that clear in our society because there are people that are trying to take that away from women it is women who who have that because that is that is what marks them marks women as the ability to get pregnant <laughs> because when that flow stops and if they have a baby in their womb, then they don't have that monthly menstrual cycle going on while they're pregnant. That's science. I just find myself, I mean, there are times I just find myself going, I just want to beat my head against the wall when I hear someone say these, these things that are completely asinine. And they're saying that it's science. It is not science to deny what science has said for years. But that's the picture that Isaiah is painting, is portraying here to Israel. Your righteousness is as filthy rags. You know, the women that in our Old Testament law that have these polluted garments that they have in their menstrual cycle, that's what your righteousness is like. Now think about that. Christ clothes us in his righteousness. The garment is not polluted. For us in Christ, as believers in Christ, we're washed clean because of his righteousness and he justifies us before the father to where we can stand before God, the father, and we can be counted as belonging to God. We are in Christ. We are hidden in Christ and we're clothed in his righteousness. So in closing, you know, for those for Christians that are listening to this and Christian women, I urge you to, to please stand up for the truth engage in conversations. We don't have to be haughty and nasty to people to engage in conversation with them. We don't have to be rude. We don't have to be puffed up, but we need to be saying the truth. We need to be speaking the truth to people and not be afraid. We are coming into times where we could very well lose our liberties. We could very well lose rights that we've had, that we've enjoyed for years upon years, and I want to be on the right side of history. I want to be on the right side with God, and whatever comes, I want to be one of those that is counted and saying, I'm going to say what the truth is. No matter the cost, no matter what happens, I'm going to say the truth and declare and proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ, not concern myself with Well, what does the future hold? Because as a believer, I know what the future holds in Christ. It's eternal life. This is temporal. All this is temporal. This is just passing through this life, and there's eternal life that awaits. And every day... We have to be reminded of that as believers, because it's all it's it's really good talk to talk like that. But we all find ourselves in moments of weakness and shutting down and going, "What's going to happen to me if I say something? What's going to happen if, to me if I only say that there's male and female? What's going to happen to me if I say you're killing your, your baby? Please don't do that. There there's help that can be offered to you. There's 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 things that can be done that you need Christ. You need to have your heart. Uh, and your you need to have be renewed by the word of God. You need to repent of your sins. This is this is murder. This is sin against God. We're doing a great disservice to people when we don't use what God says in His word. And we're not to play these games of semantics with people. And we need to be firm on that, firm and loving, and understanding that loving someone is telling them that they're in peril. They're in great danger because they're going down the wrong path including believers in Christ. There are believers that believe that abortion is okay. I mean, to, to have that type of mindset is, again, that is rebelling against God and going against God. And we all as Christians need to make sure that we understand what the gospel says. Because I would sadly, sad to say that there are many people sitting in corporate church services that aren't saved. And you may say, well, how is that even possible? Because there are people that believe that they made a decision Or they prayed a certain prayer and that they're okay. And there's transformation that God does within you that he makes you new. And he starts changing your affections. In repentance, that means your affections change. Your loyalties of things change. The the sin that you once loved, you hate. And as unbelievers, we love sin. We may not say it in those terms, but we love sin that's the problem. We love it and when there's when someone comes as an unbeliever as, a, as and when someone comes to us as we are unbelievers and they begin to say, you're in sin, you're in darkness, you're in rebellion against God, the wrath of God abides on you but Jesus Christ came to give you life and life abundantly, which is eternal life and he wants to save you if you'll repent of your sins people hate. Hearing that because they love their sin more than they love a just and holy God that wants to give them boundaries, that wants to give them direction, that wants to give them order, that wants to establish in them the truth. We must proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. That is the solution to this problem, to the sin problem, is Christ. He's the solution. The truth of His word is the solution. So, I hope that this has been helpful to you. These are just some of the, again, some of the thoughts that I have, and I wanted to share a little bit of what is going on with this bill in case you didn't know the details of it. And to point you back to the Word of God, the Word helps us to understand that the, the taking, the killing of a innocent, uh, of a baby, of a, even those, in the, uh, you can see this in Exodus chapter 21, verses 23 through 25, you can check that out, that this alludes to the fact that the life inside the womb is precious. Even in the Old Testament, we see that uh, in Proverbs, I believe, that talks about the things that God hates. And one of those things that God hates is the shedding of innocent blood. And it would seem that abortion falls into that category. That God made, and he makes every life unique and individual. That he knits them together in their mother's wombs. That he sees their, their, their frame. He knows, he knows the days that he has for them. And unfortunately, we live in a fallen world that there is there are evil things that take place there are, are horrible tragedies that take place and the gospel's the answer guys Jesus Christ is the only one that can redeem people and i don't know about you but i am continuously reminded that i am uh, not I, not that i'm comparing myself to paul but paul was a was a was a man but i and he was not god but i think of paul when he says I, that he was the chief of sinners and i think all of us as believers can relate to that, and in, in thinking, if we're if we were truly honest, we would say, "Yeah, I'm the chief of sinners." I'm reminded every day of my need for Christ. Without Him, I, I am nothing, and that I need His grace and His mercy every single day, and I am thankful for it, and I'm thankful for His love and His kindness and His mercy and His grace, uh, and His and his steadfast love and his faithfulness and that there's not a a second that goes by that that I don't need it. Understanding, yeah, I'm the chief of sinners and, and I want to proclaim Christ and him crucified and to understand that all of us are capable of evil. All of us are. Nobody is is better than anybody else. All of us are capable of, of evil. And and abortion is evil. It is evil and it's it's murder and it's a spiritual sin sickness, as I said, that can only be answered through the gospel. So I pray this has been a blessing to you today. Please feel free to share this with other, other uh, people that need to hear this, other women and potentially men. And um, let's take things back to the word of God and lift up God and glorify him in all things and share the gospel of Jesus Christ. And offer hope to those, even especially women that have had abortions, to offer to them that there is forgiveness in God. There is, there is newness in Christ that he can forgive and that he can transform those even that have participated in such acts and that he can make them whole and that he can restore them. Amen. Be blessed today by this word, guys. Thank you for joining me on this podcast. If you would like to connect with me, you can find me on Facebook and on Instagram at lovesickscribe. And if you enjoy reading, feel free to hop on over to lovesickscribe.com and subscribe to my blog. I've enjoyed being with you today, and I look forward to our next time together as we talk about biblical truths, current topics, and we continue to grow together in loving the word and loving the one who is the word, Jesus Christ. Blessings to you.